Hello and welcome to This Book Could Change Your Life. Thank you so much for downloading this latest episode of This Book Could Change Your Life, a new podcast about books for those who love them. I'll be your host, James Clark, and this week I am joined by Douglas Stewart, the author of Shuggy Bane. Shuggy Bane is the unforgettable story of young Hugh Shuggy Bane, a sweet and lonely boy who spends his 1980s childhood in rundown public housing in Glasgow, Scotland. It's a difficult place to grow up with men out of work as the coal mines close and a drug epidemic waiting in the wings. Shuggy's mother, Agnes, walks a wayward path. She is Shuggy's guiding light, but a burden for him and his siblings. She dreams of a house with its own front door while she flicks through the pages of the Freeman's catalogue, ordering something to brighten up her grey life. Married to a philandering taxi driver husband, Agnes keeps her pride by looking good. Her beehive, makeup, and pearly white false teeth suggest a Glaswegian Elizabeth Taylor. But Agnes is an alcoholic, and she drains away the lion's share of each week's benefits, all the family has to live on, on cans of extra strong lager hidden in handbags and bottles of vodka poured into tea mugs. Agnes's older children find their own ways to get a safe distance from their mother, leaving Shuggy to care for her. He is meanwhile struggling to somehow become the normal boy he desperately longs to be, but everyone has realised that he's no rate, a boy with a secret that all but he can see. Douglas Stewart, welcome to This Book Could Change Your Life, a new podcast about books for those who love them. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Of course. So let me give a brief introduction. Douglas Stewart was born and raised in Glasgow, and after graduating from the Royal College of Art in London, he moved to New York City, where he began a career in fashion design. His work has appeared in The New Yorker and on Lit Hub, and Shaggy Bane is his first novel, which just so happens to have been longlisted for the Booker Prize 2020. Congratulations, Douglas. Ah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's such a thrill. How does it feel for your first novel to receive a place on the long list of one of the most prestigious literary prizes? <laughs> it feels absolutely unreal. Uh, I mean, you write a book without any expectations for it, or certainly I did. And really all you can ever control is the, the book itself and the quality of it. And so how it's been received and sort of how many people have sort of taken Shuggy under their wing has been huge. But to be on a long list for the booker is enormous. Um, and I'm incredibly proud. I'm proud to represent Scotland. I'm proud to represent working class stories. Um, and so it's just a dream come true. It's incredible. And I loved this novel so much. Um, one thing that I'm really trying to do with this podcast is not get as many people through the door as I possibly can to have an episode every week or month, but really choose books and authors that have really moved me and touched me with their work. And Shaggy Bane is definitely an example of that. It's just an astounding, astounding achievement. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I really appreciate that. I, I wrote Shuggy over a 10 year period. As you said, I sort of live in New York and I work primarily in fashion, actually. 
Um, and so I wrote Shaggy over a 10-year period, mostly because I loved the book and I loved spending time with the characters, but also because, like many writers, I had to earn a living. And so I had to write when I could find time. And sometimes I wrote a little bit on the subway. Sometimes I wrote at the airport. Uh, I ruined a lot of family vacations by <laughs> sort of going somewhere nice and then sitting behind a desk for the whole vacation. Uh, so it's really great to sort of finally have the book in the world and, and see people's reaction to it. It's amazing. And I think um, that was something that I'd read in an interview, actually, that it had taken you around 10 or 12 years to write. Was it a real labor of love? How did that process come to you? Was it arduous? Was it stressful? I mean, I imagine all of the above, but how was it overall? <laughs> well, you also being British, James, will understand sort of I come from much of the same world that Shuggy comes from. So I grew up in a super deprived area of Glasgow. And Glasgow, when I was a kid, was going through a a hugely difficult time uh, because it was deindustrializing rapidly and unemployment skyrocketed to about 28% and stayed there for a generation. Mm -hmm. And so education was just never seen as something, or English or academia was never seen as something like a kid like me should do. And so I went and I forged my life through textiles and in the trade of textile manufacturing, which brought me to New York. And so when I sat down to write Shuggy, it was really about sort of all my dreams that had been furloughed. And I sat down at the beginning with like no expectation that it would even be a book, just that I was writing and writing was enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sat down and I wrote it as it sort of came to me and as the as the book flowed out of me. And and most of the time I was kind of powerless to stop it. I just had to sort of set it on the page and it was sort of burning to get out of me. Um, but part of the reason why it took 12 years is because I just couldn't separate myself from the characters. I loved them so much. And I wanted to return to them and just be with them and be in this world. Um, and so actually, by the time the book was coming to be published, I felt like this huge grief that I had to let them go and give them over to somebody else. And, mm -hmm. and that's really the story of writing it. It's such a nice thing to hear as well, because so often there are books that feel like they're written because they will succeed or they'll do well. Um, and it's so nice to hear of a story that came simply because the story wanted to be told. Um, and, you know, you touched on something that I had in my kind of notes is that I come from the north of England, which is and I come from a, um, you know, mill town, a wool town or a village, really. Um, and that was something that really resonated with me through reading this is that I came from a working class family. I grew up in council housing. And so I really the story really touched me in on that level. And um, and there's an element of even though these characters don't have so much, there's this current of love that just runs throughout the entire book which is so important because we live in a very capitalist society of course that values wealth and values money and values success and so often values those things at the expense of the importance of real mm. values like this love that Shuggy and Agnes have for one another despite their flaws and their hardships and that was really the thing that shone out of this book for me was that something that you were aware of when trying to write or did it just come naturally i think it, it just came naturally that's such a great question two things i think the first thing is is i've been really heartened and also sort of disheartened a little bit by how universal the book has become mm -hmm. uh meaning you know i thought i'd written a very sort of specific story about a place and a time that mm -hmm. felt very sort of of that place and the time and it's been wonderful that it's connected with so many people and so many people can feel their own lives and their own stories reflected in the pages. But then also because it deals with addiction and alcoholism, it, you know, I feel sad about that, that people mm -hmm. in sort of Minnesota and also Virginia can also really feel the sort of uh, a connection with the book in that way. 
all I really wanted to do in showing these characters was, first of all, this is the world I'm from, and so these are the people that I love. Um, but it was definitely a sort of a difficult time in the city's history. And I just wanted to approach it with as much realism as I could. I tried to be as brave as I could and write the book um, as unfiltered as possible. So I neither tried to make it incredibly pretty nor incredibly gruesome. I just wanted to say this is what it is. And these are the lives that certainly I understood growing up, but also a lot of sort of families that were disintegrating around me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really it. And, and I think when you're trying to sort of show people going through uh, a tough time, it becomes, uh, it becomes necessary to show the full spectrum of it, you know? And so to show love and humor and resilience also with oppression and with violence and with trauma. And only when you can show those things just posed together do you really get a full immersion into the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think what when we read novels as readers, we, you know, we do see ourselves in them. What we're looking for is a reflection of us, our experience, our values. So I think it's only natural that people will read this book and and identify with what are universal themes. But you know, it still is a very you know. In my notes, I actually wrote British and then I changed it. I was like, is a very Scottish novel in the sense that there is that it's gritty and it's real and you know those are probably cliches that you've heard but it's still very funny and there's very much a sense of family and unity and a national a sense of pride i guess of one's um location and where you've come from um was that something that was super important to you to have in there i mean you've touched on that but obviously it was yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm super proud to come from Scotland. I think where we come from informs everything about us, no matter where we go in the world. And so um, when I was writing the book, you know, Scotland, Glasgow formed me as much as it forms Shuggy and Agnes and the characters mm -hmm. in it. And so every time that the city is maddening or oppressive or funny or resilient or sort of beautiful and certainly a very compassionate place, you know, as cities where people don't often have much have to be, uh, you know, because everyone is sort of in it together. I just really wanted to sort of put that on the page as truthfully as I, as I can. And that's the tapestry of it, I think. You know, a lot of times we talk about Shuggy Bain being a portrait of the Bain family, but what I wanted to keep doing was sort of zooming out from the family as well and showing so many of the chorus of characters across the city. The city itself is a character within the book. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said at the very beginning as well, you know, it's working class stories often do get neglected on the page. Um, you don't often hear about them. You know, publishing is an incredibly middle class business and uh, it can sort of feel like that. And so what I'd really just wanted to do was be as honest to these stories and uh, be as truthful as I could. You absolutely did. I mean, the, the neighbours that live on the estate, for example, the taxi drivers, even the, um, the, is it the truck drivers that come through the petrol station or the taxi drivers that come through the petrol station where Agnes is working, they all really jumped off the page. It wasn't just about this relationship between Agnes and Shuggy. It was, you know, this whole collection of people which were just a joy to read, as was the um, kind of local vernacular and the phonetic speech that you dotted throughout the novel, which helps you convey the sense of that Glaswegian ident identity, but were you concerned at all about an American audience being able to understand that? Um, I think if I was to look back on it, I would have concern. But again, just saying that I wrote the book only for myself. I mm -hmm. mean, and that sometimes sounds just like quite an arrogant thing because as writers, we are working to produce now. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know if Shuggy would ever be published. I didn't know if it would be read by anyone but myself. And so I really 
only had one person to make happy when I wrote the book and that was me. And so I enjoyed that. And that gave me the sort of the courage to to do it. But obviously, uh, as a Scotsman who lives in New York, Shuggy was actually published in the United States first. Mm-hmm. And through my conversations with my amazing editor, um, Peter Blackstock at Grove Atlantic, he frequently um, encouraged me to go further, mm-hmm. to be stronger, to be more singular in sort of capturing the Scottish language. And if ever there was times that I felt, well, I could maybe broaden the sort of the understanding of the book or not make it quite as Scottish sometimes, he said, no, don't do that. And so mm-hmm. as an American editor, he was incredibly encouraging with that. And it feels like the right decision as well, because it, to have lost that element of the novel, which makes it so unique, would, be a, would have been such a shame. Towards the end of the novel, there is a scene that really encapsulated the entire thing for me. And Shuggy is hungry and he's asking Agnes for the social the benefit money. And, um, and he wants to go out and get them some food. Um, we'll starve, he says to Agnes. And Agnes just simply responds, I know. And I, that, I, was, I was actually listening to the audiobook again recently on a walk. And um, just to refresh for this, because I read it months ago. And, um, and it, that really touched me. It's just this, you had this sense of this child, which is, we all come to that point eventually where we become the person who ends up looking after the parent. But Shuggy mm-hmm. has to face that at such a young age. And it's kind of brutal, that poverty um, and the effects of Thatcherism in the 80s. And it's a very political novel in that sense. That was something that was important to you to write about? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, what was really important for me to write about as the son of a mother who lost her own struggle with addiction and grew up poor Mm -hmm. is, you know, when... We see sort of industrial cities or places suffering. We often hear the man's story, or we often think of it as a sort of a very masculine novel. And as the son of a single mother, my entire universe had always been women. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to look at this sort of political story from the point of view of children and their mothers. Mm -hmm. And so that's why sort of Shuggy is there in that sense. And so the politics actually is the backdrop to the book, although it's it's not a polemic. It doesn't really sort of push a point of view around that. It just sort of is what's happening to these characters. And actually, even Agnes herself, I think, doesn't talk so much about politics because she's kind of blown around and buffeted by it. But when you talked about sort of Shuggy sort of turning to his mother after the benefits have run out for the week or the welfare, as Americans would call it, a big part of what I wanted to show with the book was what it is like to sort of grow up with uh, a child when you have a sort of a parent who is an alcoholic or addicted to substances in the house. And you're right, the relationship absolutely inverts from the get-go. And Shuggy is precocious with that. Mm-hmm. You know, his entire world is his mother. And so he is taking care of her the entire time, really. But also it's isolating because when he's outside of the house, he is sort of subject to homophobia because he's this very fussy, very caring little boy that is just not like the other boys. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to show in that scene particularly is there's no safe harbor for Shuggy mm-hmm. and there's no safe harbor for a lot of kids. They're neither sort of safe at home nor are they safe outside in their communities. And so it was really that sort of isolation with the scene where they're worrying about food um, that I wanted to show. You are listening to This Book Could Change Your Life. Agnes never feels like this tragic character. She has struggles and she's obviously going through things that she has 
very little control over or ability to change, but I never felt as though she was this sad, tragic individual. She still had um, agency and strength, and she was still beautiful, which is something that's very, you know, clear in the novel. She's People are attracted to her. She's able to use that to her advantage. And, and does that come from your own experience? Yeah. So certainly when I was writing Agnes, I didn't want her to be seen as a tragic character because I had always understood addiction to be something that is essentially a sickness or a disease that affects normal people. And so what it does is it, the people are still people. You know, my own mother, the character of Agnes, uh, you know, the character of Agnes is gregarious. She's generous. She's resilient. She's funny. She's mm -hmm. beautiful. She's ambitious. She has a lot of vanity, a lot of pride, a lot of wants. But she's also unwell. And so she's also sort of, uh, that doesn't trump all the things she is. It just affects all those things. Mm -hmm. And so I had always sort of wanted to write this book about addiction where you sort of see these people because a lot of times there's a lot of um, books written in the UK, as you will know, but especially on the west coast of Scotland where we see a suffering soul or a struggling soul. But they're often men and they're often defined by that sort of struggle. Mm -hmm. And there's such a stigma when you look at um, women uh, or you think about mothers. I certainly grew up with a lot of stigma around me, James, um, because when sort of mothers begin to fail in that way, people judge them very harshly. Mm -hmm. um, and much harsher than we judge men ever. And so I just wanted to show Agnes as round of a character as possible. She is a multifaceted person who is suffering. And that's really all I tried to do. I, I think you absolutely achieved that. It, it shone out of the book for me. Um, and also, I think you touched on a point there that people do judge um, people suffering in with addiction or suffering in a multitude of ways. People also judge the children. And I think that was one thing that was so hard to read with this book is to see how Shuggy struggles and he's such a good-natured good-hearted pure character which I'm sure is something that um was there in, in essence to contrast what is around him with which is a lot of impurity in a sense without judgment and obviously Shuggy is a young gay kid which I was intrigued by because obviously it's probably due, due to his age but Shuggy's gayness isn't an integral part of the plot really as such it's something that informs his experience and it's something that he is but it isn't something that those around him or even he is actively aware of he just grows up he's growing up knowing he's different which gives him a different perspective but it isn't necessarily about being gay or being in love with boys or any of that it's it's very subtle can you talk to me about that because I think that was just such a it's very rare to read a book about a gay character that the gayness isn't something that is all-consuming and informs yeah. every art part of the plot yeah much in the same way I felt about addiction I felt that about Shuggy's sexuality it is just a facet of who he is it is mm -hmm. not the defining thing you're right he's a very sweet and he's a very lonely boy but in the book quite early on the people around him identify him as being queer or different they actually it doesn't ever get intellectualized more than that, the homophobia. They just say he's not right. He's wrong. Mm -hmm. he's and right. that becomes the thing. That <laughs> and we, I know that certainly from personal experience, you know, yeah. and actually from speaking with Garrett Conley, Garrett's a good friend. And we talk about the sort of the different forms of homophobia. But the homophobia I went through as a kid was just very direct. And it was just it's sort of 
in a way misogyny because it's why would you want to be feminine why would you want to be a woman yeah and but shaggy is a young kid he has no concept of his gender he has no concept of sex or sexuality although arguably he's surrounded by it everywhere mm-hmm. um and so that is just something that's used to sort of isolate him the book at its core is really a look at these two souls that are struggling under the patriarchy there's you know you'd spoke about agnes with the agency earlier and it is true, she does have agency, but she is also of a generation of a woman where she didn't get an education. The men in her life would determine the kind of house she had, the kind of money that was coming into the home, mm-hmm. how well her children were doing. And then Shuggy also, with his sort of sexuality, is also a victim of that because he's not accepted by the other boys. Even the adults see him as something different. Mm-hmm. And so really, as the book sort of goes on, you just see these two souls clinging together. They're very marooned mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're sort of just clinging together in this world. Yeah. And you do get a sense of that. You There's this relationship between them and this, it's hard to describe, they're just very much existing in this life raft, I guess, together throughout this sea of everything yeah. that's around them trying to, you know, stop them at every turn. Yeah. Which is, is brutal to read, but it's still, and I think I said this already, it's such a hopeful novel in a way mm-hmm. there's there's hope throughout and we don't I know we see Shuggy as an adult but I found myself wanting to know what happens next to him and I'm wondering if that's something that you are aware of or you've you want to write one day or h- how does adulthood affect him yeah that's a great question so we leave Shuggy at the end of the book um I won't tell you what happens to him but he's 15 16 Mm-hmm. And we sort of see him sort of striking into his manhood. You know, I think the piece that I wrote in The New Yorker about sort of loneliness and being gay, I wrote a story about found wanting. In a way, it was me answering some of the things I imagined would come next for Shuggy. It's about a mm-hmm. 16-year-old boy who turns to the personal ads on the back of a newspaper because he can't find other gay people in his community and how that sort of goes with them. And then, not to give you an early plug, but uh, I just finished my manuscript for my second novel, and that sort of explores sexuality in young men in working right. class communities in Scotland. And so I'm excited to talk to you about that later. But, but you know, it is true, you know, we sort of, what I'd really wanted to do was leave Shuggy at this pivotal moment in the book where he became the reader's concern. Mm-hmm. And so I had wanted you as the reader to sort of reflect on poverty, the trap of it, uh, homophobia, what happens to vulnerable young men when they're alone in the world. I mean, I don't think that's a spoiler because we begin the book with Shuggy alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd wanted almost that question to be sort of put back on the reader um, in a way to sort of maybe just make them think harder about poverty and about homophobia. When would Shuggy um, be growing up at 15? I'm guessing it would be the mid 90s or early 90s. Yeah, he would early 90s, probably about 93, 92. Okay, so he's going to have the Spice Girls, so he'll be fine. (laughs) That's where I'm taking him. He's probably Kylie Minogue's generation. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's fine by me also. I think that's great. But I know I I did find myself after I finished the novel, and then again, once I finished listening to the audiobook, I I found myself coming back to him and thinking of what would be next. And you create this canvas in which he lives, which is so... And I know Scotland. I've been many times. I know it well. So, um, And there's so much beauty in Scotland as well. And this is very much an urban novel. I just kept picturing him in places that I'd been, even though they weren't in Glasgow as such. You were right in saying that you left this world open for the reader for them to 
imagine their own story for him. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the best way to sort of involve a reader in your story is to make them sort of complicit mm-hmm. in their hopes for a character. And um, and I think that'll be good. And it was such a pleasure to write about Glasgow. I don't think I'll ever be invited to join the tourist board for Scotland <laughs> with this book. But, uh, but I'm a writer. I'm not a politician. And, you know, Glasgow's an amazing city. It's a city, as you'll know, James, with like so many stratas. It has so much culture, so much education, mm-hmm. so much uh, beauty. But mm-hmm. it's also a city with the suffering working class. It has a huge working class and a lot of sort of sink estates or housing schemes that failed. Mm-hmm. And that's just where I, my story is. That's where I come from. That's who I am. And that's what I really wanted to sort of focus with Shuggy. Do you feel as someone who came from a working class background and grew up, you know, with certain struggles? I mean, you've obviously done very well for yourself. You you work in fashion. You're living in New York. You, as one would perceive those that to be is doing very well for oneself but you live an entirely different life to the one that you came from and I think sometimes I have to remind myself of where I came from to appreciate what I have now more I don't know if that's the same for you but actually you've arrived right at the very heart of it you've arrived at the heart of Shuggy and I think uh you know I feel very much like a person of two halves and I feel like uh, the young boy that I was and now the man that I am are very different people and so I think something about sitting down to write Shuggy James was about sort of bringing those two worlds back together because actually a lot of people in America don't even understand me you know they don't understand my story it's not a thing as men we don't often share our feelings mm-hmm. there is a stigma to poverty there's a stigma to addiction that really um you know, we don't talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. And so part of writing Shuggy, I think, was to explain myself in the universe and also to reconnect with it. But Glasgow and I have had a long relationship and a, a lot of my early youth was about sort of getting away and sort of like trying to sort of strike out on my own. Mm-hmm. And so only I think in my 30s and in writing Shuggy, do I sort of reconcile myself to the city and see mm-hmm. myself back there? And so writing the book has been incredibly healing uh, in that aspect. Publishing the book is full of trauma for me, but <laughs> writing it has been phenomenal. And has it, I mean, in terms of trauma, I mean, I guess you're, what's the traumatic experience of what, what are the traumatic elements of those, the publishing journey for you? Uh, Without putting your foot in your mouth, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's difficult to carry something around in your head for 12 years and then give it to the world and then Mm. get feedback on that constantly. Mm. And so, especially as an introvert and as someone who, uh, although I've always been creative and in a creative field, fashion doesn't really bear your soul in that same way. And it doesn't make a mark on the landscape. And any writer that writes a book exposes a lot of themselves through that book how they feel what they believe in um and so that's just been something that uh not coming up i think through a a traditional mfa or a creative writing process that just is a brand new thing for me and i'm glad people have received shuggy well i mean i'm so uh, touched by that but it also does come with sort of anxiety and uh you know you worry about them and also shuggy for me and agnes for me feel like people more than a book mm-hmm. and so i feel an awful lot of sort of i almost have a teenage son now you know shuggy is my 12 year old boy it's been 12 years he's been with me mm-hmm. and i've kind of just like shoved him out into the wider world yeah he was in indonesia yesterday actually and i was sort of <laughs> talking to people in indonesia and that's just you know i feel some degree of responsibility towards him I completely understand that. And I think sometimes it's hard enough when you put out a tweet and see replies, which is not is completely insignificant in the grand scheme of things. So I can't even imagine 
what that must be like when you read a review or a Goodreads comment or an, or an off-the-cuff comment on Instagram about a novel that took you 12 years or 10 years to write. It yeah. must be hard. It's, you ha- I think you have to do two things. You have to develop a tough skin and then you have to stop yourself from looking at it. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, And so that's, I'm sort of, I'm adjusting to both of those. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point, actually, is you, you see that quite often as authors saying that they just don't read reviews, which... Um, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's not because it's a very singular activity, isn't it? As, mu- as much as you're working with an editor and you're working with a publisher or, you know, a designer who's working on a cover or all of those other elements, that comes really at the end of the process, I guess, or towards the end of the process and let, you know, editor aside. Um, so it is very much yours. It's it's every part of it is the essence of you, which to oh, read absolutely. criticism from someone who has spent an hour or two with it, it just is, must be awful. <laughs> it's um it's just it's you know uh, it's just uh it's always something that gives you anxiety and i can contrast that actually with fashion as someone who's designed menswear for 20 years and worked for some big brands mm-hmm. you're absolutely right i mean everything i would do and those involved a team whether it was pattern makers or assistants or mm-hmm. you know manufacturers and so writing a book is an incredibly solitary thing and nobody takes responsibility for the book uh, like the author does mm-hmm. and must no matter who's involved with it and so it's uh you know you uh it's the most sort of i think profound solitary thing that you can do as a creative person mm-hmm. uh, it is a lonely thing and so when your book enters the world it's just um good or bad or ugly or otherwise it's uh it's always a very sort of raw feeling i haven't read any negative remarks about this book the reviews that i have read have been pretty much across the board universally praising this novel and and everybody on Instagram that has been reading it seems to absolutely love it which must be such a great feeling to contrast any of that other stuff you might have been experiencing well actually you say that and then I think to myself don't tempt fate don't tempt fate James <laughs> so I think that's just my that's my upbringing you know you're always waiting yeah. for the bad news well, you're on the book a long list, so like <laughs> with your first novel. So let's let's. But I'm going to remind you of that every now and again when you're feeling anxious and like book a long list, Douglas. Come on. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and I'm only human. It's astounding. It's such an incredible achievement, and to be listed alongside you know people like Hilary Mandel, who is just. I mean, she's the darling of the Booker, isn't she? And 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 such an incredible author. Um, it's yeah. it must be as incredible to be even considered alongside these these authors and it's such a diverse list this time around which makes me really happy yeah it is such a diverse list and um i mean i could only ever hope to have a career that mirrored or came into the shadows of hillary mantels i mean she's really uh such an incredible writer but what i also sort of take comfort in is the booker prize is a prize for a book it's actually not a prize for an author mm-hmm. unlike a lot of other prizes and that's a great thing so you know, debuts, I think there's eight debuts on the list this year and a lot of Americans, and those are great things. But, you know, when a debut has the benefit of we've been thinking about it for 10 years, you know, a more accomplished author has the benefit of just being at the peak of their craft and being mm-hmm. more experienced. And so the only thing I would say is I would never want to be a judge. It must be really difficult. I'm just so honored to be on the list. Can we talk about the covers for a second? Obviously, there are two beautiful photographs that have been selected for the US and the UK cover. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I've got the US cover that was sent to me by Grove. And I think, I mean, you're obviously not going to be able to speak to this, or perhaps you will be candid, but I absolutely prefer the UK cover. And I always, always, always prefer UK covers. 
<laughs> but they're both stunning photographs. And I saw you talking on Instagram recently about the UK cover, and it's such a stark photograph that has so many layers. Can you talk about the cover selection process at all? Yeah, I can definitely talk about it. I mean, it's difficult as a father to sort of pick your favorite kid. And so yeah. I do love them both, but they're very different covers. Mm. Um, but what is surprising is actually I was involved in both of them. I think more than most authors are, mm -hmm. because I think the book is such a personal book and yeah. my editors are so supportive in that. You know, the US cover is a photo of a mother and a son sort of in bed and clinging to each other. It was actually a photograph taken by a really important social photographer, Mm -hmm. uh, socioeconomic uh, photographer who mm -hmm. traveled to war zones. His name is Peter Marlowe, but this is actually just a photograph of his wife and his son on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And the way that his son is clinging to his mother and just gazing adoringly into his eyes, I thought really summed up the book in terms of the book is about love and it's about these two souls sort of, mm -hmm. as we said, sort of marooned or stranded in the world. Yeah. Um, so when I saw that photograph, um, I just adored it. And then actually the UK cover is a photograph actually from Glasgow from the 1980s of a young boy climbing a washing pole and looking out across this landscape of a sort of failed or really deprived housing scheme. But it's the way A, it references crucifixion, I think, and we know that Shuggy is a character who suffers, but there is also a hope in his eyes and he's sort of like gazing across the landscape, this very barren landscape. And then the cover is also gold foil and like shiny, I think, is my favorite color. So it's just <laughs> an amazing thing. Um, so I love them both, but they're really different. Yeah, they are very different. I think American covers and maybe even American publishing seems to take less risks than in the UK or perhaps they just lean more heavily on tried and tested methods um, because I noticed that the... The cover for um, Brandon Taylor, I love the UK cover so much more and his, it's like this black and white photograph of a guy kind of just like looking mm -hmm. into the distance and the US cover is this, I mean it's tied in with the novel but I just loved that so much more. Um, and I guess you had opinions given your background in fashion and your background which is a creative visual art. Yeah, actually, I think I'm an editor's nightmare because I had an opinion <laughs> on absolutely everything. And I think, you know, several times they told me to sort of back away from the cover. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the US cover was maybe the second or third round, and it had started with a very bold sort of derelict photograph, a very sort of a photograph of sort of the neighbor, the, the neighborhood of Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And I just felt actually that it well, that works in the, the UK because people understand the city. You just have to mention it and people understand it. In yeah. the States, I felt like it was a little bit derogatory. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like to show just something of absolute poverty or desolation was actually not covering the whole spectrum of the book. So it was actually this photo on the cover of the mother and son was, was my choice. And I sort mm -hmm. of pushed for it. And I think... Uh, you know, it's always really difficult, but it's funny because people, everybody, and I find women really drawn to the US covers and I find men really drawn to the UK covers. Right. And it's such a personal thing. And I hadn't really known as a reader before I'd worked on these two covers, how much a cover informs what people think of a book. And it's, yeah. it's incredible. No, it is. It's fascinating. Um, and I, I do think, I think about it a lot which is, I mean, obviously I take a lot of photographs of books, so, but like there was um, Maggie, I think it's Maggie O'Farrell, uh, is her surname O'Farrell? Uh, Hamnet. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. I ordered a cover from the UK because I was like, that cover is gorgeous. And that US cover, I was just like, <laughs> what were they thinking? 
it's crazy <laughs> like crazy <laughs> I um, but I think it's just the taste that you grow up with, isn't it? You're you're used to <laughs> like when you move here and everything is different. I think it's more informed by that. Like you go to the supermarket and it's just a bit like, well, this was all weird and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so in in wrapping up, you mentioned. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be able to talk about. I'm sure you're not going to be able to talk about anything. But you'd mentioned cheekily on Instagram that there were lots of exciting announcements to be made with regards to Shuggies. Don't tell me any details of what's happening. Tell us everything you can. No, I think just it's been the response to the book um, has been so phenomenal for a book that is, uh, you know, quite a singular book, I think, quite a specific book. Um, it's about to be translated into 12 different languages. I'm working on the translations just now. There's some great things in the UK. I'm about to be on the Joe Wiley. Oh, um, nice radio show so it's the joe wiley pick of the summer which is awesome. phenomenal um i've been on television in scotland that you probably haven't seen about four times in the past week alone yeah and so it's just been really incredible i got a lovely uh, direct message from nicola sturgeon the first minister of scotland yeah just sort of coming out in support of shaggy and it's been like really phenomenal so i'm always i'm just delighted by the small things that are happening every day to sort mm -hmm. of just to be exciting but as for tv and film you have to watch this space i can't say oh, anything yeah. just i'm sure it's inevitable with a novel of this <laughs> quality and with this story as well it's it's happening and you might not want to tell me but i know it's happening <laughs> uh, well if you could if you could uh, get rachel weiss for me because i would love rachel weiss to play agnes i think that's uh, an award-winning role if i can if she can get it can you tell us anything about your second novel uh, or is that you know still all under wraps Actually, I think it's about to, you can have the sort of the scoop on it, because I think it's about to come out of its wraps. We're, okay. I think we're pretty close to telling the world about it, James. But uh, my second book um, actually sort of is inspired in a lot of ways by the story I wrote, wrote for The New Yorker. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually been working on this book for about five years. It's not something I started when Shuggy got published, because I've been writing so much by myself in secret. But it is called Loch Awe. Um, as the famous like Loch Ness, as the mm -hmm. famous Loch in the north of Scotland. And it's a story about two teenage boys who fall in love uh, across sectarian divide. So it's mm -hmm. set again in 1990s Glasgow. It's about a Catholic boy and a Protestant boy mm -hmm. who are involved in sort of territorial gang warfare um, and who fall in love uh, despite their religious differences and despite the fact that they're two boys. And so it's really about the struggle that they go through to be together um, and uh, it's a little bit like Romeo and Juliet meets small faces meets deliverance. A big portion of it happens in the wilderness of Scotland. So we come out of Glasgow for the first time with me and, uh, and hopefully it's a heartbreaker. Oh my God, I'm going to cry already. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, main character is called Mungo and I can't wait for you to meet him. Oh, that's a, oh my God, it sounds incredible. That Thanks. sounds amazing. I cannot wait to read that. Wow. And um, I, I know that publishing from handing in a manuscript to actually getting a book out there is a multi-long years process. So uh, do you have an idea in mind? Is it going to be like 2022 or are we closer than that? Or Oh, I don't, I don't know. They haven't said that yet. I think okay. I'll know that maybe in the next couple of weeks. But I would tell you it's probably a couple of years away. Oh, wow. Shuggy just joined the world a week ago. In yeah, the UK, it's crazy, so. yeah. Um, so we got to give him a little bit of time before Mungo steals his, steals his thunder. <laughs> wow. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to read it. I'm, Thank you. yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I forget getting a time machine now. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. So one other I question. I have a copy. I'll send it your way. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Um, how much of the Booker Longlist have you read? And do you have a favorite that you would select if it weren't you to be the winner? You know, I haven't read too much of the Booker Longlist. I'm on my third just now. Um, but the last one I read was actually C. Pam Zhang's How Much of These Hills is Gold, mm -hmm. and I was blown away by it. I thought it was a beautiful, lyrical book. Mm -hmm. um, it was incredibly poetic, and um, I thought it was a really beautifully written book. Um, and I'm also an enormous fan of Brandon Taylor's Real Life. Uh, but those are the two that have just, and right now I'm reading The Shadow King. It's too early to say mm -hmm. uh, what I think about it, but I've loved the two I've read so far. I loved real life so much. And even though it's not a novel, like you know, Brandon was very clear in kind of interviews that he gave that it's very much not for the white gaze, I believe was his term. Yeah. But that uh, there was so much as a, you know, growing up as a gay person and, and have, feeling that same sense of alienation, I very much was able to um, connect with it on that level. And I just thought it was a brilliant, brilliant piece of writing. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Um, and I think we'll see great things from Brandon. He's obviously a star on the rise. Mm. But if you haven't read the Si Pam Zhang one, I thought that was really beautiful. I haven't yet. I've got a copy of it somewhere, but I mean, there's just... So I'm, you can't see on either side here, but I'm surrounded by books, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Douglas, I will let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this episode and for discussing your beautiful novel, Shaggy Bane, with me today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And it's so great to talk to you. Thanks, James. Shaggy Bane is available now through Picador in the UK and Grove Atlantic in the US. Buy it from a local independent bookstore if you can. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find us at thisbookcouldchangeyourlife.com, on Instagram at thisbookcouldchangeyourlife, and on Twitter at thisbookpodcast. Thanks for listening and happy reading.